0: Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks so much for joining me. As always, really appreciate it. This week, I'm going to speak with Mackenzie Catrin. Now, she's going to talk about something that I've touched on before. I've touched on with other guests, and that's disability, disability awareness, disability advocacy, and just you know the amazing things that she's doing as well. How I found Mackenzie was through a Truly video on YouTube. Now, if you've not seen Truly videos, you know you know I like some of these kind of social videos and uh, you know these lifestyle videos. I don't even exactly know what to call them, but they're kind of in the same vein as like a, a cut. But instead of you know some of these social experiment type things, truly shows people doing interesting things uh, and kind of giving their their background and, and teaching you about people you know whether it's a disability and how they um, you know live day in day in and day out with that uh, whether it's somebody who's living you know as they're in the 1950s or all kinds of interesting stuff. Definitely recommend checking out truly, but her. Video was about how she developed, um, you know, this invisible disability at 18 years old, and what that has meant for her is when she stands, her heart rate goes up so fast that she faints, and it's just not something good. Um, and she's, uh, you know, she's had several other connected um, conditions happen because of that. We're going to talk all about that. Um, how they're connected, and maybe some of them aren't. You know, I'm certainly not uh, an expert there. And I'm going to let her tell her story there. Uh, but we're going to talk about that and just coping with being um, a wheelchair user, uh, what that has meant for her, what it has meant to kind of have that interesting aspect of technically her legs do work, technically she could walk. It's that you know when she does stand up, she has. Um, you know, a, a serious issue and, and something that is life-altering. Should she should she try to walk, and 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 that's not a, a good thing. So it's kind of the unique uh, unique perspective there of uh, being a wheelchair user with you know technically functioning um, legs. Now, with that, I do want to kind of point out um, that she does use in this uh, interview a few times something that maybe some people with disability. Um, aren't aren't too keen on i i left it in and we talked her and i talked about it after the the interview too and you know it, it was just what she was saying i think as someone who is a wheelchair user she's has every right to use whatever word she feels comfortable with um, but i know others in the disability community do not so she does use the term wheelchair bound a few times uh, of course that for her, she's kind of proving that wheelchair-bound, people don't like wheelchair-bound because it shows, you know, that the wheelchair defines who you are, and she's proven that that's not the case at all for her. She's an author. She's a uh, makeup artist doing some amazing special effect type makeup, some kind of abstract type makeup. She's, you know, rocking it on the, the disability advocacy front. So she's proving that She's not wheelchair bound. She's a wheelchair user, but she does use that term a few times. Just wanted to kind of point that out, as meaning meaning nothing other than the the word that that she did use. Um, but I really really enjoy speaking with Mackenzie. Such an amazing person. She's going to talk about the struggles that she's had with uh, with coping with her disability. This was a a real, it was just a raw conversation. Uh, I think that we get to some of the uh, maybe some of the tougher aspects. in in this interview where some of the other interviews I've done, maybe we didn't get quite um, as raw with that. So I really appreciate her joining me and speaking to me about all that. I think you're going to really enjoy listening to her. I think you're going to enjoy kind of hearing her story. I think you're going to enjoy hearing um, and and learning about, you know, the need for more advocacy, the need for more accommodation for uh, those with a disability. And uh, I I, I think you're going to enjoy this one from a creative person who just happens to be in a wheelchair sharing her story. So here is Mackenzie Catrin. I'm here today with Mackenzie Catrin. Mackenzie, how are you?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: Good. I don't like to hide things. Did I say your name correctly? Because I started worrying that I was going to say it wrong.
1: (laughs) You said it right. You got it right on.
0: Good. Well, if you would, before we start kind of talking about all the interesting things we're going to talk about today. Just kind of introduce yourself.
1: Uh, my name is Mackenzie. I am a creative makeup artist and a young adult fantasy author. Um, I live here in Arizona and I do that uh, full-time for my home.
0: Awesome. Yeah, and I definitely want to talk about the the makeup work here in a bit because I've been on your Instagram and it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's fascinating and it's impressive. So I really, really think that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but but we're going to kind of talk about disability that's that's what uh, you know the conversation is about today but before we get to that let's talk about life uh before your disability kind of what uh you know what what life looked like then
1: yeah i mean i was a a normal you know fully functioning adult i had a a really good job and i owned my car i was opening up my own business and everything um i was 18 at the time so pretty young to do all that kind of stuff but i'm a a very ambitious and independent person uh, so it's just very typical you know I just I jumped straight into working when I was younger as soon as I turned 16 I just started working and tried to build myself a life and um, you know I have my great two parents that I have three older sisters so I really just had a very typical middle class type life you know
0: yeah well I hope you weren't too normal because that doesn't sound like all that much fun if you're just normal <laughs> as can be.
1: Well, I mean, I, you know, if you were to go on my Instagram, obviously you'd see me with different uh, skin colors like blue and green and pink. And, you know, I'm a heavily tattooed individual. So I suppose that's my normal. My normal is being a very crafty um, person, musically inclined. I was on my church's worship team and whatnot, but
0: I gotcha. Yeah. And So let's talk about, you know, normal and maybe a new normal that that happened about four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um tell us just a little bit about, I guess, that that story and what happened.
1: Yeah. So four years ago, um, on April 21st, I quite literally collapsed onto the ground and my life changed from then on out. So I was actually heading to my job that I mentioned before. And um, I had just gotten off the couch. I was about to walk out the door and I was standing in the kitchen with my mom, and you know, she looks at me and I wasn't feeling very good. Something just fell off, and she looks at me and she says, Mackenzie, you don't look good. And my answer, as soon as she said that was, I don't feel good. And within a second I was on the ground. Um, so I guess, you know, from then on fast forward four years, my new normal is being chronically ill and being disabled and in a wheelchair, you know, and now I have a service dog. So, um, my whole life has completely changed, you know, like I, I, I lost my car. I had to sell my car. I lost my job. I wasn't able to open up my business. And, you know, so now, now my life is really about um, managing my energy and, you know, really watching what I do whenever I do get to go out of the house for something. But my, my whole life is inside my home. You know, I've, I've built my career as a makeup artist further, you know, past what I was already doing um, before I got sick, but now I'm an author, you know, and, and doing all these things from home. But now, now, my life is, it, I mean, it sounds horribly depressing, but you know, the, the reality is, is, my life now is, you know, never feeling good, you know, but still continuing life, life goes on, you know. So my new normal is something completely different. But at the same time, it's been very eye opening. You know, I've learned so much from now being a disabled person. I've learned so much about the disability community mm-hmm. and how different life has been for all of these other people that I have been so, um, ignorant you know blissfully ignorant to this whole entire world so in general life has changed it's, it's quite a bit my new normal is very very different than it was for four years ago
0: yeah and we've kind of taken you from that moment on the floor and now wheelchair and then you know four four years kind of in the in the future but what exactly happened at that time what you know you talked about i guess chronic illness and things like that what you know what what disability did you did you get because i feel like a lot of people are like what She's on the floor. She's in a wheelchair. We're confused what in the world's happening right now.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, that in itself is a very weird, long story. Um, You know, so from the point that I collapsed, you know, it was going to the emergency room. They admitted me for about three to four days and they couldn't find anything physically wrong. You know, they started doing tests um ekgs uh different scans you know trying to see if i had a hole in my heart something because they were very convinced it was a cardiac type uh situation but from then on when they sent me home from the hospital till about mid may so i collapsed on the 21st of april and then to mid may i had become bedbound to the point where um slowly i stopped being able to walk but it's not that i lost my function my leg it legs it's that my body was kind of shutting down so i still remember my mom had to like support most of my body weight and we would stumble down the hallway just to try and get me to go you know to the bathroom since i was bedbound and you know i'd only get out of bed <laughs> once a day because it was such a traumatic like horrific event and i felt so bad afterwards and I couldn't sit up. You know, I was just so incredibly overwhelmingly dizzy that I still remember I was living with my parents at this time and my dad would come into the room after he'd get home from work. And it'd be the first time of the day I would tried to sit up and he had to physically shift me up the bed. Um, but I was unable to sit up. So I, in that time I became bed bound because I was waiting to get seen at a specialist. Um, so that's kind of the, the hard reality of, you know, our, Medical system is is really hard to get into specialists. So I was waiting to go to Mayo Clinic, um, and then after that, that really started the journey of about over a year of being seen by Mayo Clinic. You know, being bounced around from their endocrinology unit to um, neuro neurology unit, cardiology unit. Um, literally running every test you could ever imagine. They ordered special tests, uh, especially for blood work stuff that they had to actually ship my blood out because they are such rare tests um just trying to figure out what was wrong with me because to go from a healthy 18 year old to now I was you know to being in a wheelchair you know and I could not stand up because every time I stood up it was like an onslaught of the worst symptoms you know I was so dizzy I would completely pass out on the ground and with that came you know nausea and sweating and just a whole myriad of things like it was just this whole entire overall body disconnect and they needed to figure out why that happened, what is happening. Um, so it was just running tests and, uh, I ended up getting diagnosed with many things. And that is another thing when you see chronic illnesses, there's a lot of, um, a lot of connecting factors. So my main diagnosis is called something, um, idiopathic peripheral autonomic neuropathy. Um, so idiopathic means they couldn't figure out why it happened. Apologies, my dog. Um, they couldn't figure out why it happened and they probably never will. Um, and then the peripheral autonomic neuropathy. So you have your peripheral nervous system and the autonomic system is everything that happens automatically in your body from your eyes, organs, blood pressure, blood sugar, like literally everything, um, mine do not work. So essentially think of your nerves being shredded. You know, if you cut the end of a rope, eventually that rope is going to keep fraying down. Mm-hmm. And that is everything inside my body and nothing connects. Um, but with that came something called POTS, which is post- postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, um, which is uh, unfortunately super common nowadays. I think you meet a lot of people now who have that. Um, and that definitely has to do with the tachycardic, um, aspect of standing up and my, heart rate skyrockets past 200 beats per minute, just standing up. And that's what makes me kind of sink like a stone super fast. Um, I found out I have something called HEDS, which is, um, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, but mine is hypermobility based. So, um, my joints and stuff aren't very good. They dislocate very easily and they will continue to deteriorate. They've found a cyst in my pineal gland and my brain, Along with really strange antibodies in my in my blood. There was this one called VGKC, which can't really figure out why. You know, they have even found like little markers towards tumors or cancer in my body, yet they can never find them. Uh, I had to get my gallbladder removed. It completely died. I also just recently had to get my uterus removed, unfortunately. Um, so now like my liver isn't doing very well. You know, it's it's scarred from that surgery scar tissue. And that is, it sounds like a lot. And that is a very, very common reality that you will meet with people who have chronic illness is that they are facing many different things. They all interact with each other. And sometimes like in my case, um, especially with my pots, pots is something that usually people can treat with salt and water and, uh, my, uh, different medis- medicines like mitadrin and, um, uh, and, and whatnot, but. Because of all of mine interacting, especially the autonomic neuropathy, I have gone through about two different gallon bags of pills that they have tried on me that did not work. I've tried um, IV therapy to help, you know, with that and low blood pressure never worked. I even had to fundraise to get treatment um, called IVIG, which is infusing other people's plasma into my body. I had to inject them into my stomach or my thighs myself. And we had to fundraise to get that because it's so horribly expensive and so hard to get a hold of didn't work because all these different treatments. Oh, I also have something called mast cell, which is like my body has an allergic reaction, you know, essentially to almost everything. So that's where I've been at for this last year. Long, long story short that the, my reality now is this last year have not seen doctors um, because no one can help me, you know, but if little things come up here and there, like I'm having really bad blood sugar issues, you know, I'll go see my primary care doctor. But other than that, they pretty much just pat me on the butt and said, Hey, there's, there's nothing you can do. See you later. Uh, (laughs)
0: That's, that's, that's something. I don't even know where to begin with that. I feel like, I guess maybe the most, crazy part of it. The most shocking part is you talked about how it seems like it all happened in an, in an instance. Do you mm-hmm. think, do you think that some of this stuff was maybe there and you never really you didn't know about it until, you know, this one big occurrence that kind of just set everything off or did this truly just snap of a finger and all of these things got added to your plate?
1: Yeah. So I know that EDS um, typically is something that is hereditary. So maybe I have had that before, you know, I've, I've always had some, you know, aches and pains as a kid, and I've always had um uh, some little issues here and there. But the pots and the neuropathy and all of that literally hit me like a truck out of the blue. Um, I do remember, so this was the beginning of 2018. I do remember sometimes being at work at, at the beginning of that year, not feeling very good, you know, kind of feeling a little faint or or nauseous while I was at work and um. That February, so I collapsed in April. And that February, I was in Florida visiting my grandmother. And I remember not being able to eat very much. I was just super, super sick. Um, you know, so going out to those restaurants, like n- not being able to participate in, you know, it's just I remember not feeling good here and there and being a little dizzy here and there. Yeah. But there was never anything that suggested that this would happen.
0: Several different things that you mentioned, but you know, the one that I I guess is the most I don't know what I don't want to say interesting, but I think maybe the the one that has made you not be able to, uh, you know, to to walk anymore is I don't even want to try to say that mouthful. I don't think think you (laughs) you struggled with it, but how common um, is is that is that something that a lot of people have have gotten or is it pretty rare or what do you know about that part
1: So the pots aspect is um, is fairly common the, the pots and the idiopathic peripheral autonomic neuropathy are my main factors those are the ones that have really Um, screwed with me the most. So, so POTS is fairly common, but I think I have only Mm -hmm. ever met one other person over social media through the truly interview that has that autonomic neuropathy. And that is why it's, it's labeled as idiopathic is because even the doctors, you know, are kind of, kind of baffled by it. And it's still something that they don't know how to treat because it's not like there is a source, you know, you can't go to the base of my brain and be like, Oh yeah, that nerve right there. That's not connecting with that. And that is why all this is happening. Let's go in and fix that.
0: So, you know, you, you've been through a a lot. What, I mean, talk about the, the, I guess the mental health aspect of this, I Mm -hmm. feel like it's, you know, it's one thing. And this is something that I I talked about in, in a different interview too, but I think it's one thing to maybe be born with a a disability and maybe that's just your, your normal and and you, you deal with your own mental health aspects with that, but it's a, it's a totally different world when maybe, you know, you acquired that, that disability and you have to readjust. So talk about, you know, mental health when it comes to, uh, you know, just being able to, to, to manage and and cope with a new normal.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah that's definitely a tough one. Um, ever since I was eight years old, I have been diagnosed with anxiety and depression. Um, my sister, she was 16 at the time. She was diagnosed with leukemia and, um, I had to watch her battle that for well over a year. Um, she survived. She's been in remission for a long time now, but to see your sister dying actively dying, you know, in in a hospital bed, and it was really, really hard. And that's when I kind of started having panic attacks and such. Um, but I am on the autism spectrum. So anxiety and kind of depression is already something that you kind of, you, you see with that um, spectrum disorder, but I would be lying to you if I said that trying to cope with this situation that I'm in now is easy. Cause it's not, um, I feel like having gone through my sister, having cancer, it gave me this basis of being able to react to such horrible news, you know, like we've been through something so catastrophic and so traumatizing once that now it being happening to me, I almost, I I had a way to deal with it. I knew kind of what to expect in some way, shape or form, um, but whether it's healthy or not, I think something that I actively do by coping is to not really sit and dwell on my situation because at the end of the day, you know, if doctors can't do anything, there's nothing I can do. So I have to find some way that I can move on with my life with the way that it is. But I do have days where I come across um, my reality, you know, I'll, I'll catch my reflection sometimes in the mirror, or, you know, it'll just hit me sometime. I'll close the car door and I can see my reflection inside of the car and see my body in a chair. You know, I used to be one of the tallest people in the room about, you know, five ten, and just, I'm so used to that, but now I'm at butt level, you know, so it's just butts all the time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Tell us a little bit about your, uh, your service dog. I, uh, you know, we, we, obviously they, they can't, uh, they can't, Necessarily be part of the interview, but they've tried several times. I've heard them.
1: Yeah, I have. So I have two dogs. I have a personal dog that uh, that was who was barking. His name is Finn. I've had him for about almost seven years now. Mm-hmm. Um, but my service dog, his name is Grim. He is a standard poodle. He's all black. He's a massive, massive boy. Uh, people always think that he's like a golden doodle or something because I don't cut him like a poodle. Uh-huh. Uh, but he's about a year and a half now, and. If there was such thing as like animal soulmates, I totally believe that he would be mine. Um, I'm of like, I'm of Christian background. I, you know, that, that is my faith. And I truly believe that this dog was made for me. I mean, of all of the situations that we have gotten into, and there was multiple possibilities of not being able to keep him, you know, just trying to raise a puppy with my illness, but there always, there, there was always a way that it ended up just working just fine. And this dog is so insanely Smart and perfect. Like he went to training for two weeks when he was um about sixteen to eighteen weeks old. Uh, an ex marine trained him. He has been doing his duties ever since. He never had to be in a cage. He was completely potty trained. He, um, now that he's big enough, you know, he's automatically pulling my wheelchair with his new vest that I got him. And mm-hmm. he's super hyper aware of my mental health and of my physical health. And he's it's like a person in a fur suit. I mean, he's just the funniest personality. And he definitely keeps me going. I mean, I'm on my hard days. You, he'll just sit in front of me and looking at his face just automatically makes me smile because he is quite a goofy character. Um, but he's the biggest blessing I could have asked for, for sure.
0: I like that. So he wasn't the one that was barking.
1: No, that was Finn. Finn <laughs> himself, he takes after me a little bit. He has anxiety. <laughs> Huh. He, um, he's not a fan of some of my neighbors, uh, trash cans. I cannot run my washing machine or my dryer. He's an anxious old man.
0: I like <laughs> that. And let's talk about, you know, I, I never really, I, I never asked the question, you know, like limiting factors. I'm, I, I never get into that. I want to know kind of the, the positive side of this experience. Obviously there's a lot of things that we've already talked about that maybe isn't so positive, but what opportunities has it, you know, afforded you? Maybe just, I don't know. Maybe just in in experience and things like that. What's that, what's some positives of of uh, of all this? If you can, if you can, kind of give some of those.
1: Yeah, there there's something super enlightening about walking in <laughs> or rolling in to a different community, you know, of, of the disability community. I. Was a fairly ignorant person, you know. I didn't have a disabled person in my life, whether that was a loved one or friends. And you know, as a society, we're, we're not really taught much about disabilities, and I think, you know, a lot of people are uneducated, especially when it comes to you know service dogs and different illnesses and um, and aids, uh, whether that's a wheelchair or walker, or cane or what have you. Um, but I think something that has been super eye opening to me is just how you get treated when you, when you have a disability out in public. Um, I have never realized what people have gone through before until now I'm going through it. It's really, really interesting. I mean, you get people who are so, awkwardly uncomfortable, I guess, just by your presence that either they go out of their way to ignore you, act like you don't exist, or they go out of their way to approach you. It's like, they feel so uncomfortable that they just have to say something. And the thing they usually end up saying is uh, whether intentionally or unintentionally rude, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, I've had people make really strange jokes about my wheelchair or about whoever was pushing me, accompanying me, Um, There was this one time an older man, my mom was pushing me and I didn't have groom at this time. And an older man approached me and my mom at the grocery store and he started walking alongside us. And I'm wearing Doc Martin combat boots. If you're familiar with those, there's a fairly Mm -hmm. chunky boot. He says, wow, you're wearing awfully big walking boots for not being able to use them. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You get lots of you know Speedy Gonzalez stuff. You get uh, whoever's with me as like a chauffeur. You know, are are they speeding? How are they taking the turns? You know, do you want to race? Like, you get so many things. Um, but I've also realized that people fully ignore people who are you know disabled or in wheelchairs. Uh, they I've been usually. I mean, I I don't drive anymore, so usually I'm with my mom and. Um, you know, we'll go to movies or something like that at a restaurant. They're like, oh, does she need this? And my mom will look at me because obviously I'm, I'm perfectly capable of, you know, talking, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's this interesting stigma that someone in a wheelchair uh, may have a, a mental disability or a, a mental handicap or whatever word you would use for that. So they automatically just assume that I'm incapable of talking or making an intelligent thought. Um, and along with that, either they ignore me, look over my head and only talk to who was ever with me, or they treat you like a child. So the way that they talk changes, or they kind of bend down a little bit as they talk to you. And it's very slow, very childlike, and, you know, like as if you're talking to a child now, I, I had a, gone to a store, I moved into my own house. So I'm, I'm a house owner, you know, and I was decorating my house. It was Christmas time and I was getting decorations for my very own first Christmas tree. And the lady, I was the one who put all the stuff on the counter. My mom was completely stepped aside. And the lady who's ringing me up, she's like, Oh, these are so beautiful. Did you pick these out all by yourself? I'm like, yeah, I did. I just moved into my own home. I'm officially a homeowner. And the lady's just like, Hmm. Oh, like, you know, you're just the way that society is, man. I mean, we're just not Taught, and I think unfortunately too, a lot of what you'll see, especially when it comes to movies or or television, I feel like we're getting fairly good representation nowadays. But I still remember so many times as a child watching a TV show or a movie, and someone um, is pretending to be in a wheelchair. You know, like they pretended that something happened to them, but you know something outrages them, or and they stand up out of the chair, or someone catches them out of the chair, and it's this big, huge villainous type reveal, you know, or if it was a comedy show, however they portray that, you know, so I've had people, my legs are fully functioning and I've had people look at me with just like disgust almost if they see me crossing my leg as if I were pretending, you know, and they just suddenly get outraged for whatever their reason is, or, you know, they don't expect me to use the handicap spot, you know, so if they see me and my mom pulling in with just our car, only seeing, you know, our face and chest from the windshield, they're very upset until they see my mom take a wheelchair out of the back of the car. Mm. So learning all about that and what all these people who I had no clue are facing on a day-to-day basis is so interesting You know, and that was so enlightening. And now to realize what people have been going through for years and years, you know, I learned about, I I believe it was in the nineties, the Capitol crawl, you know, of trying to get disability, um, laws put in place that all these people swarmed the Capitol building and people in their wheelchairs, or if they had crutches or canes, they dropped them to the ground and they crawled up the stairs of the Capitol building to try and advocate for themselves and for these laws that needed to be passed. You know, and that's kind of why we have the ADA um, and things being ADA accessible and compliant and whatnot. So that in itself has been such a a learning experience. I mean, absolutely crazy. And I feel like that positively in, it changed me. You know, I feel like I'm more understanding, more empathetic, you know, and yeah, that's, I think, out of all of the dark things that has been the brightest side is learning that other people have been going through this for so long and that there are other people who are like me and that this is what society is, but now to work on changing that somehow, you know, so through that I have gotten opportunities through social media, you know, to model clothing for certain brands on Instagram and to show what it's like to have a disabled body in fashion. And I, for me, the biggest positive is, is, Through becoming disabled as I became an author. Long story short.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I want to talk about that here in a moment. I I guess I kind of want to talk in that same vein, just about disability advocacy. I think that's a really, really important thing. Um, Because so many people just don't know that a lot of these things are just very easy, simple, reasonable accommodation that people just don't think about. They don't do. So many people are very reactive rather than proactive in making uh, things accessible to people. So talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's very hard because obviously we have laws in place um, that the ADA put together Uh, But the history of the Disability Act and getting these laws passed is very convoluted. And there have been a lot of people before me. I mean, years and years and years ago, I wasn't even alive, wasn't even a thought in anyone's head. My parents might not have even been alive. Um, But these laws and these rights were really, really fought for. And still, even then, they are not perfect laws. They still don't include everyone. Things still aren't accessible. You know, speaking from being on, you know, state and government type disability, sometimes it's really hard. And not only is it hard to get approved for it, but it's also hard to get the funds that actually keep you alive, you know, to medical wise. I think that has been the biggest perk for me is medical insurance But bills, you know, for house bills, bills and not being like in a section eight, which are section eight here in Arizona is not necessarily in a great part of town. Um, And and food stamps, you know, of not getting enough money for food on, on a month to month basis, especially for people like me who are chronically ill. Most of us have to eat very specific foods. And unfortunately, those specific foods are too expensive. They're more expensive than what else you would buy at the grocery store. But as I said, you know, some of our ADA laws aren't completely protective of everyone, and that it was made that way. uh, If you kind of learn about the history of, you know, the certain presidents, you know, Reagan wasn't for it. Bush was, you know, trying to be the opposite of him. So he was the one who wanted for it. But again, The law is very broad and it doesn't include everyone. It was supposed to be so broad to include as many people as possible. But unfortunately, what it has turned into now is it's too hard to get the help that you need. And that's another thing too, is a place could be considered ADA compliant, but it might not really be, you know, that bathroom stall might not fit my wheelchair, that carpet (laughs) it's going to be really, really hard to roll over. It's exactly why I have no carpet in my home Um, and not always having access to elevators. (laughs) When I had started to get really into tattoos and getting a lot of my tattoos, which, you know, I'm covered from my arms, my legs, my neck, my fingers. I actually sat on stairs and climbed them by, you know, pulling myself up them backwards by sitting each step going up just to get a tattoo because there was no elevator that in itself is humiliating. Should I necessarily do that? No, but it's because I'm stubborn and I don't want to be set apart from everyone else around me, but it's a tough, it's, 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 it's a really interesting, tough world to be in, you know, and to not realize the difficulties of curbs and carpet and I can't go on beaches anymore. And um, probably some other things that I'm not thinking of,
0: yeah. I think that's kind of an, an eye-opening thing to a lot of people, just not even thinking about some of the things that we don't make as accessible as, as we should for sure. Mm-hmm. I found you from a YouTube video that truly video, how did that come about? How did you, did you get approached to do that or, or how did, how did that all, uh, how that all happen?
1: Yeah. So I actually, I received a message request from one of the producers on Instagram. I had actually just gotten out of surgery and I think I just gotten home from the hospital and I saw that, uh, sitting in my message requests. So he was a really, really wonderful person to talk to. And the process was super cool, you know, to have people come with me essentially for a day, you know, and interview me and listen to my story. And, um, they wanted to video me getting tattooed, you know, since that's such a big part of my life. Um, and that experience was great. The interview experience process was awesome. However, The way that the video was edited together was not very accurate to my story. The way that some things were spliced, you know, I was talking about symptoms from one illness and it got put into this, which created a lot of hate. Actually, they had to take down that video. They re-edited it a little bit and re-uploaded it with a different title because I was getting so bullied so harshly, not only in the comments, people reaching out to me in emails, they were going all over my social media accounts, you know, trying to get a hold of me messaging, commenting on stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So it, again, that had some ups and downs. Um, but that I guess is something that I kind of signed up for in a way, you know, by putting my life out there. And again, that's having a career on Instagram. We kind of open ourselves up to people who are not going to be nice, whether they have a reason to or not. And something that came up a lot is people, you know, saying I'm faking it. I'm doing this for clout, uh, I've had some person say, oh, poor rich white girl can't stand up, you know, assuming that they know me and they know my situation and my history, you know, not knowing that like, no, I'm on state disability. I have watched our house almost get seized before when I was a child, we went through bankruptcy, you know, my sister having cancer. So it's automatically people have very strong opinions, you know, about me. And again, people always will wonder whether or not I'm faking or if, you know they'll look at me in my body type and like oh well she's anorexic she's doing this on purpose and and whatnot you know which is again why i had advocated for disabled bodies in in the fashion world and, and whatnot but the experience overall besides that the truly experience was really really great because mm-hmm. their mission by contacting me was to talk to people who have chronic illnesses or they have invisible illnesses because right you'll you would look at me if you see me on Instagram or whatnot. I look pretty normal. And if you didn't see my wheelchair in a photo, you would assume that I am completely fine. And again, that is for chronic illnesses that could happen for invisible disabilities, but also, you know, for mental health and for neurodivergency, no one would necessarily look at me and say, yes, that is an autistic woman. That was Truly's mission was to start covering stories of people who have invisible illnesses. They have chronic illnesses. And I think that was very, very different for people, especially seeing that on YouTube. And I will forever appreciate those truly uh, filmers who came out and the producer who contacted me. So it was a very interesting opportunity. And I'm definitely encourage anyone who also got a similar opportunity or if they reached out to them themselves to do it for sure. But for me, it was just, it it was bittersweet. Yeah. It was cool though.
0: Yeah. That that makes sense. Yeah. I, I it always kind of just baffles me, uh, you know, the, the whole people faking things. And I, I just think, <laughs> I, I I guess I just don't understand why anyone would fake some of these things that people say they they're going to fake like that's people it's not necessarily like a, a, a clout. That's that just, that makes me laugh too, just because I don't feel like I would fake some things, but I don't know whether maybe the experiences that you've already told us about, why would, why would anyone want to fake them? But just, just for your naysayers, let's just put it to bed. Are you faking all of this?
1: no, <laughs> <Okay>. no. <laughs> I, I, uh, part of me wishes, but the chronic pain, man, and the constant illness. And I wish that didn't have to happen, but this is my life. So, no, I'm not, (laughs) not faking.
0: Obviously. So, what, what do you say to, you know, the, I I mean, I I feel like there's a a part of you or a part of everyone who's just to be like, let's not give any of that oxygen. But what do you say to people who, you know, do say these things? And I guess, how do you deal with the trolls? Do you feed them or, or what do you do?
1: Um, If I can, I ignore it. Um, But also, like I said, I'm a very independent, ambitious person, and I would prefer to stick up for myself. And maybe Mm -hmm. that is also uh, being the youngest child of three girls. (laughs) I have that deep seated (laughs) within me is to defend myself, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and and whether that's educating them on my disability a little bit, um, maybe a little bit about my past, you know, because some people, again, a lot of other people are ignorant you know, they just, they don't know. And so if I can educate, I can educate. And that's great. And some people say, wow, thank you so much for telling us that because, you know, recently, I, I don't know if you've seen this. Um, I was on a channel, my video from truly got roasted on a channel, a uh, very popular channel called cinnamon toast Ken. Mm. And I got roasted. And again, it was the privileged white woman is faking this, you know, she's trying to do this for attention. Um, cause I, I said my legs work, which technically they do, but my body doesn't allow me to use them. Um, so I, I I try to try to kill people with kindness, try to try to educate them if I can, if they are willing, some people are not open to being educated. You know, they are very set in what they believe. And if they believe that I am faking it, or they believe that I am doing this for some sort of attention or money, that is going to be their prerogative. And that is going to be their reality of who they think that I am at the end of the day, I know that's not who I am. A lot of people who support me, know say who I am, my friends, my family. So at some point, you just got to move on, even though it's hard. I mean, I can't sit here and say that it's not hard. You know, you get that awful feeling in the pit of your stomach. But what can you do?
0: Yeah, no. And I think that it is important sometimes to realize who is out there just trying to be mean, just to be mean and be a troll. And then some people do come at things just with ignorance. I've, I've talked to so many people that have had trolls and you know they've mentioned kind of what you said that when they respond and you know they actually put a face to things and realize this is not just some random face out here posting pictures. This is a person that has feelings and has emotions. People sometimes take a step back like, whoa, I didn't actually mean that or I didn't really understand what I was saying. Yeah. Um, other thing too with, with Truly, I'm looking at the video now. I feel like they may have changed the name of it. Uh, you said they changed it, but maybe since I've seen it, because I don't think they did you just just there, because that's what made me click on it. Because at first, I feel like anyone at first with the video, with the name of it would have thought, what in the world is this girl up to? Wasn't it something like her legs work, but she's in a wheelchair or something like that?
1: The first title was, if I could stand, if I stand up, I could die. Okay. Never once did I say those words. Uh-huh. Um that was just a clickbaity kind of title that they yeah. decided to use. And even talked to the producer, he's like, yeah, he's like the editors do that sometimes. Um and I was fed a line or two you you know they said oh our editors would really like you to say this and so they made me say something I wish I remembered what it was mm-hmm. but they made me say something I'm like you know I'm not really i'm not really comfortable saying that because I don't necessarily feel that that's true and they're like oh well just say it anyway so that our editors have it you know they they probably won't use it so there is footage of me literally saying like hey I don't know that I'm comfortable because they kept rolling mm-hmm. but Unfortunately, that's TV because they they want the views. But I did my best to stay true to my story and what it was about, you know. And the way that they edited, I never got to see it before it got published. I didn't know what the title was. I didn't know how they edited certain things together. So things were cut, you know. So things were taken out of context, or certain things were swip, swapped. And this sentence from you know the hour number two from hour number six, they were here, were smushed together and. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It 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 was very interesting to see. But again, I they've never covered an invisible illness, so I just think it was something different that all of us experienced, not only as the people who view the video, but them as producers, editors, and myself.
0: So, yeah. yeah,
1: it had a clickbait title for sure. <laughs>
0: yeah, I I, uh, I understand that for sure. You know, I've talked to a lot of people and in, in reality TV, which obviously this is not what this is, but yeah, they've just, it's, a, it's an interesting world. That, that's kind of where I'll, I'll leave that. But I want to talk about um, your your makeup. We kind of started with that. Um, you're doing some amazing things on Instagram. Um, talk a little bit about, uh, you know, that, that career in makeup pre, you know, you had a pre and let's talk about what you're doing now. I, and I guess, are you doing other people? I, what I see on Instagram is just you of doing some amazing, awesome, interesting looks on yourself.
1: Thank you. Yeah. So I consider myself a creative makeup artist, you know, so I'm I'm not the typical, you know, what you would expect walking into Sephora to get your makeup done or, you know, getting your makeup done for weddings. That's not what I do. Um, I do very abstract avant-garde. I do body painting. So I'm literally changing my color of my face so that I am blue, I'm pink, I'm green. Um, But I started doing that. I would say probably in about 2012, Uh, I was very lucky. My mom had photography equipment for her business that she had at home. And so I kind of got the idea to do, I think my first one I ever did was a Jack Frost inspired look. And I just took an eyeliner pencil and drew this really abstract design up the side of my neck and my face uh, and took photos. And so then, once Instagram, you know, kind of became a thing, I started posting those on Instagram. And I did used to post tutorials and stuff like that on YouTube. I've made them private after the truly video, just so that people weren't <laughs> attacking me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, that's what I used to do. I used to do YouTube tutorials, and um, but my career mainly now is on Instagram. And essentially that's what I continued to do. Even up until I got sick, it was still the same thing. You know, I did things inspired by movie characters. I made up my own, you know, interesting designs. And I had briefly, after I got sick, I started working with a monthly subscription book box, a young adult book box. So every month they would send you a newly released book from that month um, with a couple, a handful of different uh, really cool themed items like candles, socks, whatnot. Uh, And that uh, rolled me into the world that I'm in now of being an author. But this last, I would say maybe two to three years, I have worked exclusively with book boxes, uh, publishing companies have come to me to do makeup looks, the body paints that I do inspired by their authors books that they're publishing. Um, so mainly what I'm doing now is just working in the book world and I've kind of made a niche name for myself by doing that, you know, by doing, once for the book boxes, I'm doing these looks inspired by the art that's on the cover on a character that's in the book. And that is honestly what actually got me started into being an author. And so I am solely basing, you know, everything I do is on Instagram. So that's, that's my portfolio, if you will, of not only being a makeup artist, but being an author and now being a artist author, (laughs) you know? And so by, by working with these book boxes, you know, I've made great friendships within them with the the owners. And I decided in 2000, uh, 2020, you know, with, with COVID and whatnot going on, I already lived at home. You know, I, I stayed home all the time, but I just kind of got that idea. I'm like, I should write a book. But the reason why is because here I am reading all these books with all these book boxes, you know, that I work with and I collect books. I love hardback books. I have them all over my house. I have huge shelves full of them, but I'm reading them and I'm realizing I'm not connecting with the characters that I used to. You know, I couldn't put myself in these situations of going off on these adventures with these characters that I love when I can't even roll over a carpet. You know, I can't get my wheelchair over a rug. So how could I imagine myself going through these adventures And then again, it was that enlightenment of being in the disability community of realizing there are so many people out there like me who have been, you know, whether they were born with a disability or become disabled later in life before me. So I'm like, all of these people have been without these books that they feel like they could connect to. So I said to myself, I'm like, I'm going to write a young adult fantasy novel with a wheelchair bound main character with a chronic illness that has to set out on this adventure. And I'm going to figure out how to make it work. And I did. And so that's how my book, uh, A Daughter of the Trolls was born. And that honestly all stemmed just from me doing makeup, which is just such a crazy roundabout thing, but it's been amazing so far.
0: No, I I like that a lot. And I, I, that's something else I've learned just from doing this podcast, you know, the need for representation in, in all walks of life. Obviously I come from a point of, you know a white male. It's a, it's uh. it's something that I just don't think about obviously in representation because, you know, we're kind of represented pretty well. So I just don't really think about, uh, about that. So talk, you know, you mentioned it briefly in, in that, but talk a little bit about your book and just why it was important to have, uh, you know, representation, somebody that, that looked like you and that, uh, you know, I guess gets around the same way you get around.
1: Yeah, so A Daughter of the Trolls is a story that has uh, disability representation, chronic illness representation, and mental health uh, representation. So my main character, Sparrow, uh, she has an anxiety disorder, but she also, I modeled her chronic illness after mine, but obviously not necessarily naming it for the sake of, you know, this whimsical Um, fantasy type realm, but she is in a wheelchair. And this is, it was a way to educate people, but so naturally to the point that you're reading this book and you don't even think twice about the fact that this girl is in a wheelchair yet you're still learning. Um, so I was inspired by, uh, old European folklore. So there's a really big trend, especially right now in the young adult fantasy world about the fae, but I kind of wanted to step away from that and go into these old house fairies called like imps and brownies. I wanted to revamp, um, trolls and gnomes and goblins. And I pulled certain witches from European folklore, like black anise and Jenny Greenteeth, and gave them all new life. And so by doing that, I was able to set Sparrow, a wheelchair bound character off on this adventure to, essentially defeat a witch who has taken her mom and most of the people that lived in this safe Haven that they have. And she has to figure out how to go off on this adventure through a forest, you know, and and that was something that was kind of fun for me to figure out of how to represent her, but also how do I get her from point A to point B? Obviously as a young adult fantasy novel, magic is involved. And so she will eventually get this, a uh, magical chair if you will think of a uh not a manual chair she starts in a manual chair but think of an electric wheelchair but with magic because obviously that that kind of time period that medieval-esque time period doesn't have technology um but yeah this this book was really about kind of I guess not only an outlet for myself but I set out to write it for the sake of representation, because I know that there are so many people out there like me, especially within, you know, the POTS community, as I mentioned, one of my illnesses, the POTS, and yes, a lot of women, it strangely enough, it's a lot, it's mostly women who have it, but I have met a couple of men. They do use mobility aids like wheelchairs or walkers, because sometimes POTS, you know, it it can mess with your heart and makes you super faint, you know, so if you want to go somewhere out for the day, um, like to the mall, they are considered ambulatory uh, wheelchair users, you know, so they can use the wheelchairs on and off. So even then I wanted them to feel like they had someone that was them in this book. And again, you don't have to have a disability or an illness to connect with Sparrow. You know, you might connect with her in her love of books or her anxiety disorder, because I wanted to educate people naturally. I didn't want to shove this um, you know, my prerogative down their throat, you know, I, I wanted them to organically learn, but also enjoy this novel. And that was the the biggest adventure, but the coolest thing is I wrote this book as a standalone novel. So it was only going to be just the one, um, and it has turned into a full blown series. Mm. So, I've continued to be able to grow this world. It's called um, the series name is called the Nymena Parable. So it's a daughter of the trolls, Nymena Parable, and there will be many more books out in the future, which I'm excited because I will be able to represent depression. I'm going to be able to represent PTSD, which is also something I have, as well as right now I'm working on a new series that so far I don't have a publish publisher for um, of a woman with autism, but again in a fantasy type setting. So. I just, there's importance in telling your own story because what, what mine is called, it's called an own voices novel, you know, so it's, it's a wheelchair-bound author talking about a wheelchair-bound character. Um, But it's important for me, but it's important for other people. You know, there are um, amazing own voices, not authors for the indigenous people, for people who are LGBTQ, you know, Latino, there's so many important avenues and, you know, it's, representation for everyone, but it's also education, subtle, subtle education to the point that you're still enjoying these stories.
0: Yeah, no, I, that's awesome. And I was going to ask you, you know, what that experience was like writing your your first book. I've talked to a ton of authors and everyone's <laughs> kind of had a very different experience. Sounds like it was something you really enjoyed because you're, yeah. so, you're, you're keeping it going. So I mean what was how was that what was the process like there was it was as easy as you thought was it harder than you thought was it exactly what you thought talk about that
1: well it's it's definitely tough you know because no one teaches you how to be an author you know i always wanted to be an author but i never had the story to tell until i became you know disabled and had had this important story i wanted to tell um so i had to learn i had to do a lot of research and I just started writing, you know, and, and part of being on the autism spectrum disorder, I'm a compulsive list maker. So I compiled all this research. I made as many lists as possible. And once I had everything ironed out and perfectly organized, I started writing. And, uh, again, I'm an overly ambitious person to the point. I would probably consider myself an overachiever. <laughs> yeah. I've been like that ever since I was a child. And a lot of people sometimes get mad at me when I say this, but I wrote my book in a month. Oh, wow. Very rare. Um, Most people, you know, spend months and months at a time, spend a year. I've met people who have taken five years to write a book, but again, my whole life is at home. You know, I don't have a life outside of my job. So I, from the minute I wake up to the time I go to bed, I'm working and most of the time that's writing. So I had the opportunity to write a book in a month. So that in itself was a little stressful, but again, I put that goal on myself. It wasn't even a goal really to have it done in a month, but I put the pressure on myself. Um, And then having to go through finding an agent, you know, and I got an agent and then my agent ended up quitting on me out of the blue, like he was supposed to be finding a publisher for me, I email him to update him like, hey, you know, it's been a few months since we've talked like, have you found anyone? He's like, oh, yeah, I decided not to be an agent anymore. (laughs) Like, all right, cool. Thank you so much. And uh, so then I had to kind of start the process of thinking about, okay, do I want to self-publish? What else can I do? But I was super fortunate to come across my publisher and she Um, is an indie publisher. So I wasn't required to have an agent. Um, So I was able to send my my story to her and uh, get published by her, which is awesome. But now with my other series that I want to publish that she is not going to be publishing, I have to kind of get over the hurdle of, do I want to spend all of that time again to try and find an agent and get an agent to get into a bigger company? Do I want to try and find companies who take unagented submissions and whatnot? Um, It's a very tough, competitive uh, community to be in as an author. You know, there's tons and tons of books out there, but there are tons and tons of books that have been written that aren't out there, you know, because of how cutthroat it can be, you know, and it is also, it's competitive, but it's slow. It's very slow. It can take, you know, six months to longer to get answers from not only publishing companies or, you know, prospective agents, it's a really, it's a tough world to be in. Um, but I'm passionate about it, you know, and I already kind of had my foot in the door with the book boxes that I work with and just having that little bit of knowledge of how the book world works, but I really enjoy it. I mean, I've always, I've always been a very, very creative person and, um, I feel like I I have the skills to do it, you know, and I enjoy it. So I, I definitely plan on, on continuing despite it sometimes being very hard and arduous.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, I have no doubt that you will be successful, you know, in talking to authors, I always, they always, they always say some form of, you know, that first book is maybe the, not necessarily the easiest to write because they don't know how to write. But Mm -hmm. after that, that's when some of that times the pressure starts just because, you know, your first book no one is pressuring you to get that done except for maybe your mom after (laughs) that, then maybe you've got agents and all these other people that want this next book. So it'll, it'll be interesting going forward, but I, I, uh, I wish you nothing but this success with it.
1: Thank you. And you know, the funny thing is I've learned that the pressure continues from your mom So, you know, I, I said my, it's going to continue being a series. I've already written the whole entire series, even though we haven't even started editing book two, but oh that's my, gosh. Because my parents want to hear the next story. So they're like, you need to just hurry up and keep writing the next one. That's so the pressure awesome. from mom and dad never stops.
0: <laughs> I like it. Well, that sounds like support too. So I, that's, that's really awesome for sure. Thank Tell you. us how we can find, uh, find this first book.
1: Uh, you can find my first book at my website, which is actually my name. It's mckenziecatron.com. Uh, and through that, you can find me on Instagram, which also has links to that, has links to my Etsy page and a bunch of other little crafty things that I have for sale or other avenues, but yeah, my website, mckenziecatron.com.
0: I like it. Well, you kind of just wrapped it up on how everyone can find you. Any, any last words. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Uh,
1: well, thank you for giving me the opportunity and, you know, telling my story and allow me to ramble on with the copious amounts of information that I love to give. Um, And just thank you to everyone for listening and for, you know, giving my story the time of day.
0: For sure. I appreciate it. So that was Mackenzie Catherine. really enjoyed speaking with her, learned so much about just her story about. The disability community, you know, last week I talked to a social media influencer, even though I've spoke to several in the past and learned so much, same thing with this, you know, every everyone brings their own unique aspects to to a given topic. I've learned about disability and the advocacy behind that in the past. She taught me even more. I really appreciate her coming on and sharing her story, sharing some of the struggles that she's faced and and some the amazing things that she's doing at the moment when it comes to her makeup and it comes to her books. Recommend you checking out her Instagram profile to see that uh, makeup. You're gonna be amazed by that. I, I recommend you going to check out her website. Links are gonna be in the show notes, but I believe it's just her name. Go check out her website and go go get that book. If you're at all interested in, science science fiction fantasy that type of thing uh those those young adult books i think uh, i think you'll really enjoy that and it's from a very different aspect i uh, just like she said her main character uh, is uh, is a lot like her and and is a wheelchair user so i'm interested in reading it for sure you should check it out too um go follow her go support her with that book really really would appreciate that i know she would too of course, like I say every week, if this is your first time listening or you haven't done it yet, go follow us on Instagram, Not in the Huff Podcast. Go check us out on Facebook, Not in Huff with Jackson Huff, JacksonHuff.com. Go give us five stars on Apple and on Spotify. Appreciate that very much. If you want to be extra awesome, go write a review on Apple Podcasts. That would be amazing. Uh, but otherwise, really, really happy you're here. We'll see you next week. Take it away, Chris. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think, or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.